0: Hey folks, welcome back to the Office Hours and we are uh, having part two of our conversation with uh, Dr. Dan McClellan. Um, I can't not call you doctor. I'm sorry, it seems a bit of a compulsion. Um, <laughs> it's okay, my students can't st- stop calling me doctor
1: either and I'm not, yeah, yeah. I'm not a doctor. <laughs> <right>. it,
0: just... <laughs> it would help if you stopped them, Barry, but. My,
1: my female <laughs> colleagues are always are always commenting, I never yeah. get called doctor but even yeah. though I am. And, and I sit there like, I, I know. I try to I try to help but
0: I the, I don't know. A friend is when when Barry's students would call him doctor. He'd say, "No, please. That's not my title." Uh anyway. So <laughs> <laughs> um so uh Dan, we are going to be talking about in this uh segment uh pop culture misperceptions or we'll say less than rooted in reality perceptions mm-hmm. of uh having to do with the Bible. Um and I figured uh last time in our, our last conversation we talked way more about sex than I thought would be the case. If I'm being honest, Barry, that's that's often, I I think that's why Barry doesn't contribute a whole lot because when he does, that's the direction things go. So let's go with something equally sexy, hell. Mm -hmm. Right? So our um, modern perceptions of hell, uh, the good place notwithstanding, um, often actually to some extent, uh, often have to do with, you know, visions of fiery, you know, uh, pits of torment, that kind of stuff, very Dante's Inferno kind of thing, which yeah. was as someone once made the case to me kind of fan fiction and I don't entirely disagree with that. Um, but what is the, what's the daylight between how we often see modern representations of hell or eternal suffering and that sort of stuff from the Christian perspective versus what is actually defensible from a like textual perspective, you know,
2: um, There is there is no one presentation in the text, which is part of the problem, because when you get to the point where a group wants to represent it in some way, shape or form in more detail, they don't have the data there to be able to do it. And so one of the reasons that we have constructed the conceptualization that we have is just for lack of data. Uh, and this is a this is a big part of fan fiction. A lot of fan fiction is an attempt to kind of draw more out of the of the framework, out of the story, out of the characters that you want to see. Um, fill I, in the gaps. Yeah, fill in the gaps. Explore some things that that people want to see explored a little more. Maybe tweak things here and there to see what happens if we do this with a character. My uh, my family and I we really enjoyed a a show on Disney XD from a few years ago called Gravity Falls. Mm-hmm. Which was uh, it ran for two seasons and that was it. And immediately fan fiction started coming out because there was a you know that wasn't enough to satisfy a lot of people. They thought there yeah. was there was a lot more to uh, to the story. And you know it's not really different from the Bible. In fact, there's there's a lot of stuff in the Dead Sea Scrolls that you could absolutely call fan fiction. Uh, mm-hmm. The book of uh, the book of First Enoch, for instance, takes the beginning of genesis and focusing on genesis 6 and fills in the gaps and explores what is up with these sons of god and and the daughters of humanity and what happened with these children and who are the nephilim and just expands and elaborates and innovates and now we have this entirely new universe basically that has been created by this text and now that's that gets passed down for the future to then um, future generations to, to then do what they want with it. You know, they have their own kinds of fan fiction and uh, the book of just,
0: I'm sorry, Dan real quick, just as a point of clarification for folks who may not be familiar, the reference, the passage that you're referring to refers is in, um, in Genesis when it describes effectively angels or angelic type figures uh, procreating. And the idea being that like Goliath and other giants were uh, the offspring of that. And that's, were the early that's the idea that's being explored in those Dead Sea Scrolls.
2: Yes, yes. And that's and that explanation is actually um kind of highlights what we're talking about. The text says Bene Elohim, which is children of God. And in in the broader Northwest Semitic uh literature, the Bene Elohim were second tier deities. These were the these were gods literally the offspring of the high deity and their consort. Uh, and our understanding of them as, as angels is influenced heavily by First Enoch, by that, that fan fiction, so to speak. And when we get to the, the New Testament and then the, uh, the biblical canon that develops in the 3rd and 4th century CE, a lot of what's going on in the New Testament has been influenced by First Enoch. But then First Enoch is abandoned. And so the texts that become authoritative have built on the foundation that this fan fiction provided, but then they got rid of the fan fiction. uh, And so it further develops, uh, and I I think it's fascinating because one of the things that First Scenic does is explores this this idea of eternal conscious torment. There are, when you get toward the end of the Hebrew Bible and into a lot of this literature that was written in the Greco-Roman period that did not remain part of... Uh, what was considered authoritative. And then into the New Testament, you have kind of three ideas developing of of, uh, punishment in the afterlife. The first thing that develops is the idea of a glorious afterlife, that those who are righteous are going to be rewarded in the afterlife. And this develops from what we call wisdom literature that is contemplating why do bad things happen to good people? Why do good things seem to happen to bad people? You know, the, the wicked prosper. Uh, which is mm-hmm. the complaint you hear in Ecclesiastes and Job and places like that, and so first you have this idea there is reward in the afterlife, and then I I have uh, opined that the idea of punishment developed out of this. the The wicked who seem to prosper, and this is a period when you had empires, the remains of Alexander the Great's empire, um, you know the the Ptolemaic, the Seleucid Empire. They are oppressing heavily. Mm-hmm. uh or the early jewish communities and uh, i i think that they probably developed the idea of punishment in the afterlife as a means of of comforting people the truly sure. wicked people of the world are going to get what's coming to them mm-hmm. in the afterlife uh and so You have in in first Enoch the development of this idea that there's this valley where these uh, people are tormented. And you have three different ideas that develop in the Greco-Roman period. Um, Annihilationism, which is basically the idea that their punishment is basically they will cease to exist while the righteous will continue on to exist in the afterlife. You have temporary torment followed by annihilationism, which is the idea that they will be tortured or punished for a time, at which point they will cease to exist. And then you have uh, eternal conscious torment, the idea that their afterlife will be eternal punishment. And all three of these conceptualizations are kind of pop up in different texts and different times in different ways. Uh, And then when you get into the New Testament, you still see all three of them. For instance, Paul never once talks about any kind of eternal conscious torment. It's in the gospels primarily where you find that and in a couple Mm -hmm. other places but there's not really um, much description of what's going on. Revelation sure. is kind of the closest we get to that, where this idea mm-hmm. that we first find at the very end of Isaiah of the fire that is that is never quenched and the worm that dieth not. This gets picked up in the New Testament and then uh, in Mark and other places. And, and then in Revelation, you have this idea of a lake of fire. And mm-hmm. it says death and hell and satan and his angels uh and everyone who follows them will all be thrown into that lake of fire uh and you know later on as people are as there's an institutional church and it's spreading and as people are exploring well what does this all mean if we're going to Depict this artistically. If we're going to write texts about this, if we're going to write poetry about this, how do we depict what's going on with this lake of fire and the worm that Mm -hmm. dieth not? And this is where we get uh, these creative kind of trying to take what few concepts have been expressed and building on them and creating something that is that is comprehensible. And what you get is is this you know mm-hmm. concept that is uh i would say i think dante's inferno is really one of the most influential explorations yeah. of what all that is and is really mm-hmm. sits at the foundation of what we think of today when we think of uh of hell
1: and uh well and and what pop media texts come to mind w- when we think of uh dante inferno's depictions right? uh well there's I mean, the there's video there's, 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 <laughs> <laughs> there's the video game right um but it, I mean, Hellboy pulls heavily from Dante's Inferno, right? Yeah, you get. Yeah,
0: yeah, no, yeah. I'm sorry. Um, I was just thinking for a minute. Uh, y- yeah, yeah. <laughs> I have to think about it for a minute because D- I've read uh, quite a bit. I've read Hellboy, but I would have to think about the parallels. But it's, I mean, if you think about like, um, you know, uh, Hel- Hellboy is literally the beast uh, referenced in Revelation. Um, and he's also an observant Catholic, so there's that. But the, <laughs> uh, but the gotta I'd, make you plug. Yeah, no, well, he is one. He is one of, <laughs> he is one of uh, Hellboy, Daredevil, and and Nightcrawler. Um, I could do more of in in the in pop media, but. um yeah he is kind of like from that idea of like there's layers of hell and all that kind of thing and there's a hierarchy there which we see arranged in Dante's Inferno because he lays out like well there's this and this and this and uh, there's certain demons who preside over these things and there's different levels and uh, it is also Dante uh, explored the idea of like the the noble heathen who is not accountable uh, so it doesn't go to heaven but also doesn't go to hell so you have mm-hmm. like the philosophers and the um, like Plato and, and Socrates and Isocrates and, I Socrates and, and and all them hang around outside of the gates of hell, just sort of chewing the fat for all all of eternity, uh, and which is a further exploration of like the idea of limbo, which has never been, at least in my understanding, has not been um, Catholic canon, but has been a philosophical exercise of what happens to those who exist outside of the knowledge of God and things like that. And mm-hmm. certainly his, his conceptualization of that has um, been, I think, influential. But I also think of like Paradise Lost in John Milton, um, mm. Mm-hmm. And uh, just a plug for a band I listened to from time to time, Symphony X, which is a symphonic metal band that did a uh, a concept album that was just the Paradise Lost from beginning to end, um, mm-hmm. and, and, and you know, ten minute songs about falling from grace and things like that. is interesting, uh, but but that sort of stuff is sort of ubiquitous. That imagery, right, of like the angelic sympathetic devil that we then see in like Lucifer, right, uh, in mm-hmm. terms of the TV show, which was based on the DC comic and all that kind of stuff. Yeah.
2: I think of uh uh when I was a teenager was when Spawn came out. And so yeah. Spawn has mm-hmm. some really mm-hmm. cool uh I was I was fascinated by a lot of the religious imagery uh and uh particularly mm-hmm. the what is it, Malibolgia, and and mm-hmm. uh those characters. I, I thought that was fascinating which is
0: that is a name right out of the inferno.
2: Yeah. yeah. And um you you mentioned the the different levels and the and the demons that have uh purview over certain things. and which strikes me as kind of an antithetical reflection of the concept of the heavens that was developed in the Greco-Roman period because this is where you talked about, oh, we got all these angels, we're going to give them names. Mm-hmm. and they preside over different aspects of the functioning of the universe, and there are different levels to the heavens. Uh, and so it it seems that maybe this is where uh, some of those folks are taking that inspiration from. It's like if heaven has, Different yep. levels and different functionaries in those different levels. Let's flip it upside down and say hell has mm-hmm. got the same thing. Um,
0: it's it. Uh, I'm it, thinking of the Dante's Inferno also did a lot to reinforce the idea of hell as a prison for the demonic. Right. So like mm-hmm. as compared to other mythologies where um, evil spirits have you know uh, rule or reign or they have some degree of agency above ground. Um, the idea of Satan being encased in ice. Right. Uh, in the was it the three faces of satan chewing on cassius brutus and judas i think uh but the idea that he is imprisoned there um mm-hmm. for e- eternity which is again another pop media trope uh, as i think about just how much bad <laughs> fan fiction of theology that supernatural is responsible for <laughs> god that yep. show was like a bad relationship <laughs>
2: <laughs> did you did you ever, did you ever see disenchantment
0: uh, the the cartoon the, um, the natural guys yeah yeah, yeah. I, yeah I haven't seen the most recent season, but I am otherwise up to date.
2: there's yeah. a there's a lot of them being stuck in in uh, in Hell mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. in that which is which is pretty interesting. <laughs> it's always funny how uh, everybody's representation of Hell draws from a lot of the kind of contemporary tropes. Um, mm-hmm. And and the good place I think is the is the best example of that where yeah. you know, oh, the, yeah. Yeah. the the person who runs hell is using all the sayings and all the uh, um, all the metaphors and things like that that we use today, which is um, you know but but that's what makes it resonate that's what makes yeah. it feel mm-hmm. familiar and mm-hmm. uh, easy to to consume and to uh, talk about so
1: mm-hmm.
2: so that's just that's just good writing.
0: It is. Uh, the other thing I want to talk about, um, that came to mind is as you mentioned, revelation was the idea of like the end of days, the rapture, that kind of thing. And I remember talking to a deacon in my church. This was back when like, um, left behind was hugely popular. Right. Mm -hmm. Uh, and (laughs) I've only seen one left behind movie and it was because of a girl. Uh, <laughs> and, and um, but I was talking to him, my my deacon about it, and I was in like high school or whatever, and he says, you know, that's wishful thinking. If you look at Revelation, the idea that the faithful leave before things go really bad, it's not it's not supported by the document. That's that's being hopeful. Uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. So uh when we think about like the the quote unquote end of days and that kind of stuff, how do how do you what what does how do you make sense of that, of that idea of this dominant narrative versus, like, what is actually in the text? It's, it's difficult because, uh,
2: you know, the, the rapture is, is an example where somebody centered one text and then kind of reinterprets everything else based on that one text. So they're looking at all the other texts through the lens of that one text in Thessalonians to create this concept of the rapture and that's really an inevitability if you're trying to trying to create a kind of um structure and ideology about how something's going to happen from the bible you have to give priority to certain texts and then marginalize ignore
1: other texts that's just an -hmm. inevitability uh and so is that more of an inevitability just because of uh the diversity of perspectives that are part of the amalgamation of what becomes the holy text and and so because of those differing perspectives we have to like centra- centralize a, a particular interpretation
2: if if we're looking for a single interpretation yeah. i i think that's exactly what it is uh for instance the idea of you know are you saved by grace you have got Paul saying uh, Abraham was not um, was justified by faith and not works. Then you have James saying no, Abraham was justified by works and not by faith alone. You have this disagreement, but people want it mm-hmm. to mean one thing, and so they've got to reread James, subordinate James to to Paul, and so and that and I think that is an outgrowth of the of approaching the text as all inspired. If it's all inspired, there's got to be some single message in there. It's got to mm-hmm. it's all gotta share its roots in in something. And mm-hmm. so that's what it makes it it's not satisfying to say, well, it depends on what text you're reading. James says one thing, Paul says another thing, sure. Mark says <laughs> a third thing.
1: Um and I guess if we're searching for answers to our questions, it's hard to get the response. Kind it depends. depends on who yeah. <laughs> that's that's not a satisfying end.
2: Yeah and and I and I think that the that has to do with what people understand the the scriptures to be. I mean, if if you sure. if you want to think of it as, you know, a fount of inspiration, if I want to go into the text just to be inspired, just to find um, some inspiration in there, then then maybe it's not as important that it be univocal. But but for somebody sure. who wants to say this is God's own voice, and mm-hmm. I I need to know precisely how things are going to go down in the future, they have to pick what's going to be the center, and then they have to pick what's going to be subordinated to it. And uh, the, the idea of the second coming is pretty consistent throughout the New Testament, but you have texts that were written within a generation of Jesus, and then you have texts that were written well after um, that first generation was gone. And so if you look at, if you kind of order them, Based on how uh, we think they were uh, written um, chronologically, you see, okay, it's happening, it's happening, it's happening. hasn't happened yet. Okay, well, (laughs) we don't know when it's going to happen.
0: A minute now, guys.
2: (laughs) It's still coming. Yeah, um, but but you see, you know, Paul saying stuff like, "We don't have time for kids." It's you know, the time is short. And then when you get into uh, Timothy and Second Thessalonians and texts that were written decades after paul's death but are still pretending to be paul they're talking about oh well all this other stuff has got to happen first
1: Mm -hmm. and
2: and this is and this is renegotiating how this is all going to go down and so when we look back at all of that you know it all gets telescoped into this flat um chronologically flat kind of uh plane where this is all coming at us at the exact same time uh and so we try to harmonize it all and so in order for uh contemporary christians to have some idea of this second coming uh you know they've they've got to negotiate with with that and it's complex and and it's why you have i think uh Ideas about the the rapture, and and uh, you have rather problematic notions that this is is coming so soon that we can't structure our society for long term mm-hmm. things. Yeah. and and mm-hmm. this this is harmful. This um mm. this creates a society that uh, that does not take care of its its people in a lot
0: of ways. And it is a it is sort of an endorsement of a sort of a extractive nature uh, nature or approach to our society of what will benefit us in the moment, uh, not thinking about the longevity of it. Sorry to cut you off there. No,
2: yeah. no, no. That, that's, and and I think, for instance, uh, the way we the way America talks about Israel is largely a function of this notion that Israel becoming a state. Is the um, you know opening the the seal to the end times and mm-hmm. uh, and a lot of evangelicalism is is focused on that cares about Israel and so as a state mm-hmm. maybe doesn't care about Judaism or or Jewish folks around the world but is very concerned about Israel as a state uh, because this this plays into their ideas of of the second coming and the end times. Uh, and so it's it's all a renegotiation in a way that will will serve our, our contemporary interests and our, our structuring of power. Uh, at least once we get beyond kind of the the um, small scale individuals, small groups, families level. Once we get to society wide institutional levels, where uh, they need to come up with something that can uh, that can respond to a bunch of different needs. Uh, at the same Mm -hmm. time, then, then they've got to start creating these, uh, these ideas about end times being imminent, uh, in order to keep people engaged. And Mm -hmm. yeah, it can be so problematic.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It can certainly be used to justify a lot of really unfortunate perspectives and actions. Um, so as we sort of, uh, wind down this conversation, we've talked about heaven, we've talked about hell. Uh, let me ask you, Dan, uh, what is a misconception you see propagated in pop culture that, like that bugs you (laughs) assuming you get bugged by things maybe you're just really mellow i don't know Uh, Um.
2: (laughs) besides univocality um (laughs) 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 that's uh i I think the idea there's an idea that i see quite a bit that uh particularly the roman empire but sometimes they talk about uh, christian leaders have just manipulated all of this and particularly religion in order to control people. That's a pretty mm. widespread thing that I've seen, not just on social media, but in a lot of, of uh, different venues, that religion is about control. Mm. Uh, and that, you know, there there were these grand councils where they sat down and went through the books of the Bible and said, you're in, and ooh, not you, and "And you're in and you're out. And a lot of these reconstructions of, of uh, how the Bible came to be, how Christianity came to be, that uh, are very anti um establishmentarian and that's mm. not to say that's a bad thing because institutions sure. i think tend to be uh tend to be responsible for our a lot of a lot of our problems and not just that institutions are <laughs> bad but that <laughs> the case the, can be made <laughs> yeah the, the 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 requirement of an institutional structure kind of mm. forces you to to uh have problematic priorities a lot of times um yeah. So there's there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of trying to um, um, put all the blame on institutions, but a, a lot of the way that is done popularly mm-hmm. is wildly inaccurate. Um,
0: there's a common misconception. This isn't necessarily related to the Bible, but like the uh, perception that uh, um, I was going to say Saint Patrick Stewart. No, um, Saint Patrick. <laughs> Saint Patrick. <laughs> but, yeah, Saint Patrick. Uh, uh, was responsible for like the genocide of uh, pagans and that kind of thing in Ireland and that's what the metaphor of driving out the snakes was um, which is not historically accurate for a variety of reasons uh, a lot of those faith practices had already been in somewhat decline not to mention a lot of them coincided alongside Christianity in the way that that often happens and there are a lot of good reasons to criticize the church and especially the church's activity in Ireland <laughs> that ain't one of them <laughs> yeah. like, we, we can we talk about we don't need to make
1: things up in order to be critical there's yeah. pl- Plenty of stuff there to critique
0: <laughs> and to and to absolutely grapple with, but let's keep it rooted in reality.
2: Um, I, th- I think I've, uh, my wife and I have really got a kick out of uh, Dairy Girls. Have you heard of this show?
0: I know of the show. Oh, it's so good!
2: Uh, <laughs> but <laughs>
0: but that's about the troubles
2: in yeah. uh, in uh, Northern Ireland uh, back yeah. in the I think the nineties. But um, yeah. the, but they they make light of it in a lot of ways. Yeah. So. Um, and and I would say one I, I did think of another thing the whole idea that that Jesus uh, was created based on all these ancient Egyptian deities and things ah, like yes. that which I see all the time oh it's so frustrating um.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well theres there is this weird esoteric approach from a few different perspectives, I'd say more fringe aspects of like linking together major historical figures. Um, so I, am thinking of like, there's uh, the one that immediately comes to mind is like esoteric Hitlerism, which is a particular vein of thinking that Hitler was one more in a long succession of important historical figures that were basically the same spirit reincarnated. Yeah, that's, that's a thing. Um, so, but that need to identify patterns that don't exist, uh, is a weird part of human cognizance. Um, and
2: and you yeah. know what? Um, finding patterns in the world around us is one of the main motivations for religion in the first place. And so yeah. when when folks who are trying to undermine religion start doing the exact same thing that yeah. leads mm-hmm. to religion, um, <laughs> I <that>. <laughs> I find yeah. that humorous. Um, well,
0: and and there's that whole thing about like I have not engaged in this um journey myself, but I've seen other people talk about like deconstruction, uh, and that kind of thing and how it is very tempting to just recreate the uh evangelical uh often people folks deconstructing from evangelicalism or fundamentalist Christianity mm-hmm. and then just recreating that with a different dogma. Yeah. Um
2: I, I think it, yeah, yeah, we see that all the time. I, I think you see uh post post-religious folks uh atheists that that are taking the kind of the same frameworks they're just mirrored uh in the other direction and um it's because that yeah (laughs) they well there are a lot of reasons for that but
0: we could keep going (laughs) but we should stop Uh, and um where can people find you and support you
2: so i am on uh tiktok uh i try to post almost every day if not every day i think i don't it's probably uh, it's probably not every day, but uh, also on Instagram and Twitter, on all three uh, as at McClellan M A K L E L A N, which is the uh, phonetic spelling of my last name. That uh, made for a handy username when I when I uh, returned to the United States because. No one uses it anywhere. So, mm-hmm. if uh, if I try to sign up for something and I and I put that in and it says username already in use, I know somebody out there is is um, has stolen my identity. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, I spend. Uh, uh, I am. I'm trying to uh, trying to spend a little more time on Instagram. I am failing at it, though. I am not. I need to figure Instagram out and reels. I need to figure reels out. Um, they're difficult, though, but I know that's where, that's where Instagram is, is focusing right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then if you want to see my, uh, my political uh, stuff, that's what I'm spending most of my time on Twitter doing. I, I uh, ran for office twice here in Utah in 2018 and 2020. Uh, I made a lot of friends and a lot of enemies uh, in, the, in the political world in Utah. And so uh, if you want to see me yelling at Mike Lee... Um, a lot. <laughs> you can find that on, on Twitter.
0: I'd, I'd be afraid to to uh, step on too many toes in the same environment that produced Orrin Hatch. Um, <laughs> oh, gosh.
2: I, I would take Orrin Hatch over Mike Lee. Um, yeah. Most days of the week. But, uh, yeah, that's, <laughs> I, uh, I, it was funny thing. You know, I was on Twitter for a long time. I've been on there for over a decade, I think um and uh, then i got on tiktok and i was like wait a minute i could put videos on twitter um and so <laughs> i had never done that before until i was on sure, tiktok yeah. i was like i can just make a video and put it on twitter um so so now when uh when my legislators uh do asinine stuff i record a video calling him out and then tag them on on twitter and Oh, it's
0: so much fun! <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm gonna start following you on Twitter and just wait for you know the uh, as we as this political landscape becomes even more of a nightmare. Just oh um, for you to you know, I, I just see you with a five o'clock shadow going. <laughs> I need y'all to quit your shit. <laughs> We're done with this. <laughs> um, uh, so so please follow uh Dan on social media. And um of course if you want other social media for uh us here, you have dr underscore C on uh, TikTok, GA Cruz underscore PhD on Twitter and Instagram. Um Please leave us a, a review. Share us with your friends and enemies, and you know what better to fill the awkward conversations at dinner time than a podcast uh, featuring religion? So please play us around your you know family gatherings when no one knows what to say. Um, <laughs> that's the niche we've decided to step into: mm-hmm. awkward family moments when no one knows what to uh, say about anything. Play our episodes. Prime real estate, exactly. And religion. Yeah. We'll
2: throw in some politics for you too. Ab- absolutely. Yeah. <laughs>
0: uh, so, <laughs> um, and yeah, and uh, email your your thoughts, questions comments, concerns, corrections, and ideas for episodes, uh, as well as hate mail to Barry at PhD at gmail.com. And uh, yeah, thanks for dropping by the office, and we'll catch y'all next week.